This is James chapter 3, uh, verses, verses 13. That's not going to work for anyone at home. Uh, look at that. That's an awful colour. Let's just go back. Anyway, what I'm going to do, I'm going to read. You're not going to be able to see it very well at all. Uh, and let me just read it for you. So if you've, got your, uh, if you've got your Bibles there at home, let me just read it for you. It's James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes, comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Well, I'm going to pray. And as I'm praying, I, uh, I'm going to ask Robert, if you can go over to the computer. Melody couldn't come today because she's had a COVID test. Uh, so this is the kind of thing that uh, is happening. And I need you to click on the first slide just after the Bible reading, if you could. Uh, if you could scroll down. Uh, so I'm going to pray and hopefully that'll be all ready to go by the time we finish. Well, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we come to it with great confidence. And thank you that in all things that you uh, have blessed us with your word. Uh, Lord, we know that it is powerful. It is the double-edged sword of the Holy Spirit. And we pray now, Lord, that as we look at your word... Uh, that you give us great insight and wisdom about wisdom and help us to come away practicing heavenly wisdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's, it's been a good series so far in James, I hope. Uh, next week, George is going to come back and he's going to talk to us uh, from James chapter 4. But I'm not sure if you've ever been to a graduation uh, I went to a graduation. This picture that I'm bringing up isn't, uh, isn't the graduation, but uh, it should be coming up any moment. There we go. So that's not the graduation I went to, but uh, I went to a graduation not that long ago. It was a few years ago. I hadn't been to Bible college yet, so it was probably more like 13 years ago. Uh, but I still remember sitting there uh, watching this graduation. It was a Bible college, and I'm not going to tell you where it was or who it was, uh, but it was a lovely graduation. There was lots of people who achieved great things. And, but I still remember sitting at that graduation and there was a moment where the principal came up and with great pride, he spoke about how wonderful uh, this college was and he spoke about uh, just how wonderful everyone was that had graduated. And then he said something which has always stuck with me. He said, the future of the church lies in the hands of these graduates. And I was like, is that true? Does the future of the church lie in the hands of these graduates? Anyway, on the way out, I, uh, I, I noticed sitting right at the back was the principal of another Bible college. And he'd been sitting there humbly uh, at the back, and he's a very well-known international speaker. 
And, uh, and the reason he was there is because one of, he was the principal of another Bible college. One of his doctoral candidates had to study at this other college in order to get his doctorate. And during this uh, address by the principal, the principal said, and it's great that we can do things like give a doctorate to lecturers of other colleges. It was a really strange moment. Uh, and then uh, the graduate actually got up and humbly gave all glory to God. And the contrast that I saw there actually made me decide uh, which Bible college I was going to and wasn't going to. And I have to say, when I decided to go to the college uh, that was humbly sitting in the back, uh, within a few weeks I realised they were going to smash the pride uh, out of me like nothing else. Uh, and there's still a lot of work to do, but I tell you, you should have seen me before I went to Bible college. Uh, it was pretty, uh, pretty intense. You see, this morning we're considering what wisdom is in James. And uh, it's, it's really tied to humility. See, last week we saw in the, uh, in the beginning of the third chapter, uh, James addressed the teachers. And there was a reason he was addressing the teachers. And that is because teachers, they have a great deal of influence with their mouths and their lives. And really this is flowing on from that first part of chapter 3 where he addressed the tongue. And he said, teachers and everybody, watch what you say because you can break someone down and destroy them and push them away from God, or you can raise them up, encourage them, and bring them into the Lord and on their journey with the Lord. And this week, James continues this section by moving the focus away from the tongue and into wisdom. And he begins by asking the question he's about to answer. And he, he's about to answer this question. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise and understanding among you? See, how do you recognise a wise person? And the first thing James says here is we recognise a wise person not by their degrees, but by their deeds. Not by their degrees, but by their deeds. Have a, have a look at the second part of that verse. He says, let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. See, in chapter 2, James addressed people who claimed to have faith. And he said, well, if you claim to have faith, let me see that by your life, by what you do. And he says, even the demons believe Jesus exists. But are they saved? Well, no, they're not saved by their uh, belief because authentic faith is proven by the life that is transformed by that faith. And in the same way, James here is saying, who is claiming to have wisdom? Well, let me see that wisdom by the life that is transformed by the knowledge and the understanding that you have gained. You see, uh, a deepening alignment with God's character and a deepening alignment with God's will is what true wisdom is here saying. Now, I'm not sure if you've come across this guy. His name's Michael Nicholson. He's 75 years old. And you could say he might be the wisest person in the world. 
not because he's got grey hair. We all know that the wisest people are bald and have no hair. He has one... Well, gee, it's easy to be funny when there's no one here. Uh, he has one bachelor's degree, two associate degrees. He has 23 master's degrees. He has three specialist degrees and he has one doctorate. 30 qualifications in total. Some would say, well, he must be the wisest person in the world. Education is surely one of the greatest goals that we can have. And in fact, the context that James is speaking into very much held knowledge and understanding and the ability to communicate that in high regard. Just as we do, we send our kids to school, we send them to be educated and they're all good things. But is that the end game? Is education in and of itself the creation of wisdom? Well, James is saying, no, there's more than that. Being wise is a greater goal than gaining knowledge because wisdom is the application of that knowledge and your understanding into your life. And then James goes and contrasts two types of wisdom here. Two types of wisdom. He says, firstly, consider earthly wisdom. And he says, you must reject earthly wisdom. Have a look at verses 14 and 16 there. He says, but if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. See, what James is saying here uh, is at the beginning of verses 14 and 16. Notice he repeats it. He says here that, uh, that earthly wisdom leads to envy and selfish ambition. In other words, you look around you at the world and you find discontentment because you see all the things that other people have that you don't have. So you ambitiously start focusing your world and your direction into gaining what you don't have because you're envious of those around you. I think there's a phrase we use here, keeping up with the Joneses. As you know, or most of you know, I live, uh, I live next door. That's not our house. Uh, it's definitely not our house. Uh, but, and there's definitely not a house around here, so I didn't pick on anyone in particular. But I live, love living in Cowrie Cottage, and we love the area. We love everything about it. It's a great location, and Glenbrook is a wonderful place to live. Uh, even in a lockdown, we get to walk in all sorts of wonderful things. And I have awesome neighbours. In fact, all my neighbours are awesome, except for one thing. They love keeping their lawns immaculate. As I spend my days admiring, uh, admiring them and as I spend my days looking at uh, all the beautiful lawns around me, as most of you will know, uh, Cowrie Cottage is a, is a place that doesn't exactly have uh, the greatest of lawns. Now, across the road is, uh, is Daniel. Now, Daniel's lawn is always immaculate, and I tell you, he has the most wonderful lawn, and I watch him at the beginning of spring starting to use his weed and feed. Uh, he does his trimming, he cuts it just perfectly every 
week or two, depending on the year. He mows, fertilizes, trims. I think he even blow dries uh, the grass. It is so wonderful. And if you look at his garden, he's got all these native plants and they all seem perfectly aligned, always in flower and always perfect. Uh, let's just say my lawn, in contrast, is rustic and it's rural. Now I have to say and I confess that I've looked at Daniel and his lawn and I've thought I wonder if I can get my lawn like that. And I noticed there's a few lads who are living in the corner and they've spent hours trying to, because you can see Daniel's lawn flow into theirs and then it starts getting a bit, yeah, not so good. So they've spent hours trying to figure that out. See, it's so easy to start envying and going about satisfying that ambition to have a lawn like Daniel. But we do it with our lives. We look around us and we think, I just want what I don't have. And it turns into selfish ambition. And so our direction is all geared on the things that we don't have instead of finding contentment in the things that we do have. And if there's ever an age that tells us that our world is all about us and what we desire, it's now. The whole goal of marketing the reason I go to Bunnings and I look for, uh, and all I have to do is look at the packets and they all say, this fertiliser will make your lawn greener than Daniel's and they must Photoshop the green and green and it just gets greener and greener and I take the one that's going to make Daniel feel like he hasn't got uh, what I have. You see, marketing, the body image, your wealth, social status, the quality of your life in retirement, it's all geared because we are geared towards fulfilling selfish ambition. I don't know if you've seen that Colourbond fence advertisement. The guy walks out of his house, picks his paper up, turns around and he just starts looking at his roof and he's admiring his roof. Isn't that a wonderful roof? And there's another one where there's people walking past the house and they take a glimpse and then they see it and they just stop. It's a creepy ad because they're just staring in someone's window. But they're just looking. See, we're geared to this. And so we want the colour bond fence. We want the colour bond roof. We want, we want, we want. We see it in our marriages. Divorce rates because we're not getting what we want. In our churches, we have quarrels which will be looked at next week, which James flows into. We quarrel because we're not getting what we want. It's our careers, ambitions. We sabotage, innuendo. It's in fact, it's everywhere. We're told you create your destiny and don't let anyone get in the way of that destiny. If you want something, go get it. Well, in verse 15 here, James says this is unspiritual and it's demonic. See, this is a wisdom that's not from heaven. It doesn't flow out of the Holy Spirit. It's not spiritual. It's earthly and it's driven by the sinful heart which is geared towards this self-centered way. We are inclined towards it. But James says resist earthly wisdom do not buy into it do not believe it and practice wisdom that's all about you don't do it See, as a church we also need to resist it influencing our theology 
I'm not sure if you've seen the amount of books that basically are titled all about the power of prayer. See, there's this theology that's coming through which is saying prayer is powerful. And I say, amen to that. Prayer is powerful. But they say the power resides because you have the power in your prayer to shift things the way that you want them to shift. In fact, God becomes, well, he lives in you through the Holy Spirit. So now we start manipulating him and we start using him to, to focus and achieve what we want to achieve. No, that's earthly thinking. The power of prayer resides in the one we are praying to. And just as Daniel in the book of Daniel bows down and says, you are sovereign, your will be done, but I'm going to pray because I believe that I'm praying within your will, Lord. If those lions eat me, so be it. But please save me. Just as Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, this hurts. I am in anguish. I am sweating drops of blood. Please take this from me, but not my will. Your will be done. You see, as soon as our will starts to overtake the will of God, then we are practicing earthly wisdom. See, rather, James says here in verses 17 and 18, he says, practice heavenly wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So in contrast to bitter envy and selfish ambition, we see the fruit of practising heavenly wisdom is peaceful selflessness, not selfishness. Merciful, compassionate, sincere. Regardless of what person, a person's circumstances, the car they drive, the education they have, we show impartiality. We're not partial. But notice that heavenly wisdom looks to sow peace and not discord. Peace is the very fruit that comes from it because it's not about the self. It's about everyone else. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, sow discord. It doesn't sow jealousy. It doesn't create disunity, but it seeks unity. See, heavenly wisdom doesn't look on others as objects to navigate in order to get what we want. This is the big contrast when I became a Christian and I had great influence by very faithful Christians. What I noticed the most was that they didn't look at others as things and objects in order to navigate, to try to achieve what they wanted to achieve. They honestly looked with compassion upon others as people who are made in the image of God. And James talked about that last week. We use our mouths to curse people, yet these are the people that God, have created, God has created in his image. They are far more intrinsically valuable than any of your selfish ambitions and any of your desires. See, heavenly wisdom looks to invest in others rather than invest in itself. 
And when I was in Kununurra, uh, we drove around Australia and we uh, got to Kununurra and uh, a couple that was in our church and they were missionaries up there on uh, a great mission called Reach Beyond and I encourage you to look it up uh, and, and support them. But they were missionaries for three years on Reach, at Reach Beyond. Now they'd gone through a terrible personal tragedy just before they got up there uh, and when we got there, our car engine blew up. Now, Brian and Katrina, I tell you, without them, we wouldn't have been able to stay. They're the most humble people I have ever met. Now, Brian came to me one day and he pulled me aside and he goes, look, I just don't want anyone to know about this at all. Uh, but what I've done is I've sourced a new engine for your car. I've tracked it down. I've organised with uh, the... Brian seemed to know everyone in every place of Australia. I've organised with my mate, who's the road train driver from Perth to Kununurra. It's a 3,500k trip, uh, to pop it on the back of his truck for us. And, uh, and yeah, and I've got a good price for it. And he told me the price, and I went away. And so I thought, oh, well, we better pray for the price and so we can get the money. Next day, I've got to check in the letterbox from someone anonymously for the exact amount. And then Brian said, oh, look, every Saturday morning, I'm going to put it in for you. Yeah, why, don't we, why don't we do that together? So I got to spend a couple of months with Brian putting a new engine and, and fixing my car. But then I found out about all the other things Brian and Katrina does, do. They are the most selfless, humble people I have ever met. All through their own personal tragedy, all through their own, uh, all through... The, the life that they could have rejected the Lord easily. But they submitted and they bowed down in worship and served. And I tell you, they had the biggest in, in, in impact on people that I've seen for a long time. When we took a trip to Tassie, where they live now, they gave us their car to drive around in all sorts of things. See, back in verse 13, James says that heavenly wisdom is expressed in the deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Humility has become such a foreign character in our world because our world is telling us to take pride. Take pride in yourself. Without pride, you can't do anything. You go and visit a psychologist and the first thing they tell you is that you need to take pride in yourself. You need to love yourself. And they're not bad things. But if that builds someone up into thinking they are something that they are not, what someone needs is to recognise and humble themselves under the living God. And it's only there that you'll ever feel fulfilment and peace. And you won't need to try to chase after the green lawns and the superannuations on a level which is going to take up your entire life. See, pride rather than humility is the catch cry of earthly wisdom. But humility is so much more powerful. And it brings unity. It serves. It loves. In all its frailties and weaknesses, it recognises that, but it finds great power to achieve the most wonderful things, not because it looks within, it looks above. And it says, I have great power, not because of me, but because of the God whom I serve and I love and who has saved me and called me. See, heavenly wisdom is God-centred, not self-centred. Heavenly wisdom produces a harvest of righteousness, we're told here in verse 18. 
Because simply put, heavenly wisdom is knowing your God, but then investing your entire life into becoming like him, knowing his will and living it out in the earth, which is all about the self. And I tell you, the greatest impact we can have in the world is to live a life of humility, of submission, as James puts it, to our Heavenly Father, to his will. Not our, my will, but yours be done. Heavenly wisdom is a deepening alignment with God's character and God's will. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see, the world says, don't fear God, but think of him as the power within you that you can manipulate. No, fear God, the all-powerful one, the one that you need to come and submit yourself to, because there is a day in which you will have to give an account for your life, and if you have not been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, if you have not laid your life down at the cross and asked for forgiveness, then you need to give an account. And that will be the day where you will know the true fear of the Lord. So in other words, think of yourself as the one in control and who is powerful if you're thinking earthly. But no, James says heavenly wisdom does not think of oneself as powerful, does not think of oneself in control, but submits to the one who truly is. So the world can't stand it. But when it encounters it, it realises it's something that is missing. And so it desires it. See, and this all outlets itself in very practical, everyday ways. I want to highlight some of the practical things I've seen people in the last few days open doors for people who had shopping and could, they recognised the need and they were willing to serve. I know that seems small, but it's a mindset, it's a principle. Driving. Now, one of the things about coming back to Sydney is driving. Everyone's in competition on the roads. It's like whoever can fill in that gap first is the winner. And if I can speed up so that that person can't enter my lane, then somehow I'm the winner. Well, no. How about you yield and wave the person through and maybe even say a prayer for them? See, seeking to understand a person you disagree with rather than just shooting them down in a meeting. A parent who's juggling kids and needs a hand getting a pram up the stairs when they're catching a train. I know these are small things. But this is all an expression of seeing other people as worthy of you serving them. Frail people struggling with trolleys or bags of groceries. These are all everyday things. Now I'm not sure this week it made international headlines, but in Australia a young fellow he was serving, I think it was at Coles, I better mention Woolworths as well in case there's an endorsement, uh, but I think he was working at Coles and and uh, this older lady, she was trying to tap and pay and she was having all sorts of problems. And, he simply, and a woman behind saw this happening. 
And all he said was, oh, that's okay, ma'am, I'll fix it for you. And he took his own card out of his wallet and he tapped and he said, there you go, I fixed it. And she thought he'd just done something technological. But he'd actually paid for her groceries. And off she went, complete, off she went completely unknowing of this wonderful act of humility and service and love that this young man had made to this older lady. But it's also in the big spiritual things. Prayer for salvation of those that are perishing. Sacrifices of finances and and time to serve the Lord in the local church and in your community and for the kingdom. See, James says all this comes down to humility. Looking to others as people made in the image of God and willing to serve them and humble yourself and love them and meet needs. Jesus said the first will be last and the last first. The proud will be humbled and the humbled raised up. And you don't have to look too far from Jesus to see a life that was lived like this. I want to leave you with Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. I don't have it on the screen, but just listen. Paul is talking to the Philippian church. Paul himself is in prison, having been persecuted as he sought to proclaim the gospel. And he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The very nature God, Jesus was, humbles himself, to take on the form of a man and then to serve? I have not come to judge but to serve. The suffering servant Isaiah talks about. You see, this is heavenly wisdom in the flesh. And we are called to practice heavenly wisdom, not earthly wisdom. Don't buy into it. Let's go and serve our world. And proclaim this wonderful gospel, not only with our lips, but with our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you that Jesus, in his humility, bowed himself to your will, so that the world would be blessed through him, to the point of even death on a cross. And Father God, those of us who have put our trust in him, now bow before him and thank Thank you for the, for the great work that has been done. Father God, I pray for those who may be listening today and have not considered the humility with which Jesus has loved them. I pray they will see that the only place to find true peace, true contentment, true salvation is by putting their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, we pray for their hearts and we pray that you will humble them and bring them into relationship with you. Father God, as we continue in this week, help us in the little things to serve the world around us.
to love the world around us, all for your glory and not for our glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.